Uh, just before we begin, uh, just a schedule announcement. At least till Hanukkah, we are actually going to be on schedule. I can't remember the last year this happened, if ever, uh, that we're going to be every second week. So in two weeks from now, and two weeks after that, and two weeks after that, Baruch Hashem, there'll be Shior. My uh, trip to America is going to be short enough that I can fit it in in between two months of Shabbosim, so it uh, won't be a problem. All right, and welcome to the 13th year that we are doing this. Absolutely incredible. 13 years, and uh, I just want to thank uh, Tzvi Ackerman, who uh, bullied me into doing this uh, 13 years ago, and we continue to, uh, to continue to do this now. It's already 13 years later. It started out as kind of a cute little fluke. There's no way I ever imagined this would continue as long as it has. And uh, listen, Baruch Hashem, if, uh, as long as there are people with nothing to do on a Saturday night, we're going to continue this. And uh, Baruch Hashem, it's nice to be here. And of course, we always start, for the most part, there was maybe one exception, one year was an exception. For the most part, we always start on either Parshas Horatius or Noah. We always do every other week because I I'm only of limited level of inspiration to be able to come up with something interesting to say on a Pasha. And uh, two, week, two years is usually enough. And um, we haven't uh, spoken, of course, we spoke about Pasha's Noah two years ago. And we've covered a whole bunch of absolutely fascinating concepts. We talked about the Yonah and uh, why he keeps Shabbos and everybody else doesn't, uh, aren't allowed to. We talked about the Raven last year and we even read a poem just to show you how boring things are over here. We... We talked about the fish, we talked about the birds, we talked about, uh, about the only thing I've left uh, uh, lay, lying in the weight is Og. But uh, we have mentioned him, he's made a cameo appearance on more than one occasion. So I've, uh, I've worked around as best as I could. We did the Dora Flugo, we did all kinds of interesting things, but there's just one story here that no matter how much I've tried to avoid, eventually you got to come back to it. I mean, it's just there, it's right there in the middle of the power show. You know, you can try to work around it, but sooner or later, you have no choice but to face up to it. And of course, uh, those of you who have been coming to the Shia for a long time, and you know the somewhat bizarre approach that I personally like to take to the choosing of the titles. Somebody said to me, who, who comes up with those titles? I do that myself. I don't, I don't often make up the Shia, but I do make up the titles. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the... Uh, uh, the bare reality, I, I, very few people got it. A few people actually knew what we're going to be talking about. And a uh, slightly bizarre concept. And uh, certainly one, a story that we have no choice but to deal with. To tell you what, the Lomet Anitzarach. we got to know it. So here's what happens. They get off of the table. I'm reading in Paragtes, Pasuk Yud Ches. We actually spoke about uh, Knan uh, in two different contexts already. We'll put him aside. These are the three sons of Noah, and from them the entire world is populated. Um, 
one year we're going to have to talk about this. What exactly happened to Noah? Rashi says he made himself chulin. He planted a kerem. Why did he plant a kerem? He should have planted something else. Ta'ina. He should have been something else. He should have, done. He should have planted a kerem. You know that a kerem produces wine. Wine can produce trouble. There's all kinds of stuff that comes out. Wine is red. Red always represents Midas Hadin. There's all kinds of things here. you got to be real careful. Of course, we know Rashi explains to us that he wanted to have more children and he thought that wine would be a positive thing for him. But the results are not what he expected. Pasek Chafalath. He didn't drink all the wine. He drank from the wine. And he became drunk. And he became unclothed inside of his tent. Her tent. Right? Two different ways that you can understand this. And uh, what happened? So there are those Mepharshim who say that Noach did not appreciate the fact that he was no longer in the same world. It's, uh, it was a different world. The world before the Mabel was an extremely powerful place. It rained once in 40 years, and that was enough. That's all you needed. One rainstorm, once in 40 years. Halavai by us. Yeah, we just had a little bit of rain, and Mitz uh, Hashem, we need a lot more of that if we're going to get out of this trouble. You know, we're in a terrible uh, water situation here in Eretz and uh, and Baruch Hashem, you know, we had a nice rain, and we started ourselves off. The truth of the matter is that we've had a number of inspirations for Parshas Noach. This week, there was a giant rainbow in Yerushalayim. They say if you were at the, uh, at the Kaisal, you're able to see a giant rainbow over there, which is, of course, a symbol. When you look at the beautiful rainbow, you know God wants to destroy the world. Merach Hashem is not going to. But it, it's, not, it's not a very positive message, but it is, it is difficult not to appreciate you know, the, the beautiful sign that the Kodesh Baruch Hu is doing. We spoke about this briefly 12 years ago. Maybe we'll have to revisit this topic. But, um, but in any event, um, it rained once in 40 years. That was enough. It says that a child was born like, so to speak, almost like a horse. A horse comes out of its mother's womb and gets up and starts running around. The major says a baby comes out of his mother's womb, walks across the room to get the knife to cut the cord. Right? Today, very often, they don't do that until they're in their 40s. You understand? It's, not, it's, a, it's a whole different world. Financially, not until their 60s. But <laughs> that's only because they're living with the inheritance. But, um, you know, I mean, you're talking about a world where people were so powerful. You see, there were lifespans close to a thousand years. It was, it was a different world. And when Noah came into the world, he came into a new world, and a world where he was no longer who he was. And so these um, grapes that he planted were antediluvian. I've always wanted to use that word. <laughs> they made me learn it in SAT preparations. It's almost impossible to work into a conversation. <laughs> antediluvian, before the flood. <laughs> there it is, my friends. These grapes were antediluvian. Yeah? And as such, they had a power that Noah, who was no longer anti-Diluvian, was not able to handle. 
And so the amount of wine that he used to be able to drink that didn't even give him a buzz, he just takes a sip and bam, he's out. Minhayayin. He didn't understand the power. You're messing around with forces that you're no longer able to handle and boom, he got knocked out. V'yacham aviknan es ervas oviv and he sees his father naked and he tells his two brothers outside. Rashi tells us all kinds of terrible things that Cham did. I am not going to mention it. The reason I, I know this is a moment of restraint that is so unusual to find in this year, but I'm actually inspired by a book by um, Rabbi Emanuel Feldman, who was a rabbi in Atlanta for many years, and he wrote a book uh, called Tales Out of the Shul. I love this book. It's so great. And then he tells a story of how he was speaking on this Rashi. And then, and um, and when they, you know, the family came came home from shul, so the mother said, "So what did the rabbi talk about in his, uh, you know, uh, you know, his in his uh, sermon?" So the daughter says, "I'm not sure. What's castration?" <laughs> and the other one used another word that the rabbi had used to describe uh, Rashi's pshat. And um, I've learned from this. I uh, show you the amount of restraint that I'm able to practice. So whatever happened, the partial shot is he came in and saw his father was naked and he came out and he told his brothers. Obviously, in a way that would um, certainly lower them, lower him in their eyes. It was a bizarre, there was something here that was designed to try to uh, hurt his father, whether he hurt him physically or not, but that's for sure clear. Right? Rashi's obviously troubled from the fact that it says the Yoda is is Asher also low Brilakotan. What his youngest what the small son did to him. So it sounds like something was done. But Yafes S Hasimlo. And Shem and Yafes take a blanket, Vyosimu Al Shem Shnehem, they put on their shoulders, Vyochu Akaronis, Vyachasu Ace Ervas Avihem. They walk in backwards so as not to see their father's embarrassment and they cover him up. And he wakes up and he says, The God of shame should be blessed. And he's using the name Yudkevavke. Right? throws it in again. Yaft Elokim Yafes. Here he does not use the Shem Havaya. He uses the name Elokim. God should expand the Yafes. And he should dwell in the tents of shame. He keeps the little refrain here about Knan. Yeah? And that's the story. That's the story. That is Noach's role after the flood. He drinks wine, he is uncovered, Ham does something to him with the assistance of his son Knan, and uh, Shame and Yefes cover him up, he blesses Shame, he blesses Yefes, he curses Ham and Knan, and that is the end of the story of Noah after the flood. That's it. At that point, he basically fades from history. That's the last that we more or less hear from him. That's the last we hear of Almost all of the characters in this story, I stress almost all, because somebody's going to make a reappearance, as we all know. Yeah? 
So Rashi tells us the following verse in the Gemara. Vayikach shem v'yefes. It doesn't say they took. Ela vayikach. He took. Limer al shem shenis aynets b'mitzvah yosem yefes. He pushed himself more to do the mitzvah than yefes. He pulled yefes along for the performance of the mitzvah. Lekach zochu bonov letalus shotzitzis. Therefore, his children get a talus of tzitzis. Note what Rashi is saying here. Talus shel tzitzis. He doesn't say talus. Talus shel tzitzis. V'yefez zoch l'kvula v'nusan kvula l'bana. And the consolation prize for Yefes is that when his children will be wiped out in the battle of Gog Magog, which is coming up soon, they will get buried. What a special treat <laughs> for them. And Ham, Shabazaz Aviv, will be left lying naked in the field and they don't get to be buried. So let's go over the, the prizes. One gets left buried in the field, one gets buried in the ground, and one gets a talus of tzitzis. One of these things is that like another one of these. It doesn't belong. It's kind of strange, no? Okay, so so uh, we all know this. This is uh, the famous Rashi, the famous shot, and and I'm I was hesitant to even take this title because ever, to take this subject because we all know this. We've heard this many many times, and we're in the wrong context. This is all Hanukkah Torah. We all know this. This all pops. This story pops up during Hanukkah. The only reason I decided to stumble into this is because Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan is the official opening of the Sufganiyah season. <laughs> for those of you who are not aware, you can now get Sufganiyah. They are waiting for you. Big, plump, oily pieces of dough with a very high sugar content of something that is resembling a fruit jam. And powdered sugar, which now, Baruch Hashem, you can get your sufkani with powdered sugar. Several years ago, you couldn't get them with powdered sugar because there was a anthrax scare. <laughs> they were waiting for a terrorist to put anthrax on top of the uh, sufkani which, frankly, I don't think will be killing you as much as what's inside of them <laughs> without the anthrax. That's my own opinion, but... So we've got out here and I saw for those of you who have maybe just come for this year and you're not aware of this, this gives us an opportunity to relive the Hanukkah miracle every year, stick a wick in it, light it, it will burn for eight days. <laughs> There's an absolute miracle. Oh, Hashem. So, uh, so because of that, I feel safe stumbling into Hanukkah. The truth is, on Hanukkah... Um, Several years ago, I don't remember exactly how many, but several years ago, I remember, we spoke about the relationship between this time of year, between Sukkot and uh, Hanukkah. I will not belabor the point, but suffice it to say that there are 70 days from Sukkot to Hanukkah. And just as on Sukkot, we offer up 70 
um, bowls, so too there are 70 days of you having trouble making the cheshven from the 15th of Tishrei to the 15th of Cheshven is 30 days. The 15th of Cheshven to the 15th of Kislev is 30 days. That's 60. From the 15th of Kislev to the 25th is 70 days. I one of them is Mali and Chaser. Nunu. That's the correct response. I have asked this question many times. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu went up for 40 days, starting Rosh Chodesh Elo, and he came down on Yom Kippur. In those 40 days, uh, correspond to the first 40 days and I said, I asked this question many times, but Elo has only 29 days. And the answer I have always received is, Nunu. <laughs> so they want to say, well, you know, there's two days Rosh Chodesh, but we don't blow shofar starting from the first day of Rosh Chodesh, only from the second day of Rosh Chodesh, because that's Aleph Elo. Nice try. So, uh, so if Nunu is the correct answer to that, then that's the correct answer here as well. So, uh, you know, I one time uh, tried to say over a vert uh, on Purim to my Rebbe Rabbi Shapiro, and he looked at me and he went, Nu Nu. <laughs> so I said, When does the Rebbe say Nu? And when does he say Nu Nu? He says, That's a sod. I can't reveal that. That's, <laughs> you wouldn't understand it, you know. And I said this over to somebody. He says, Don't you get it? There's a shame Hashem that's Nun Vav. That's what he was referring to. I said, All right, all right. Yeah. I don't even get the jokes. Anyway. <laughs> But um, in any event, so what's going on here? So what's going on here in a very simple way. Noah is lying naked in his tent, and Ham is him. But we can look at the responses of shame and Yefes in two completely different ways. Shame looked at Noah and said, this is my father. He is a Tselem Elohim. He is a person of great spiritual caliber, and he is being disgraced. This person has to be covered because it's a disgrace to his spirituality. And he is rewarded with a beggar that doesn't just cover you, but it covers you in a sense of spirituality. What does that mean? We talked about this on Pasha Shlach many years ago. That the tzitzis on the four corners of the beged, the four corners of the beged represent this world, the four corners of the earth. This world which is limited. Four is always talking about this world. Right? That's the Dalit. We'll talk about that before Yom Kippur next year in Metz Hashem. But Dalit is the four. And therefore the um, the Dwarfloga builds a ear and a migdal. It's it's almost like a Dalit, if you look at it upside down, depending on how tall the city is. Anyway, but uh, it says four ideas, the up and down and back and forth. That's what they were trying to capture. Four is just this world. There's no connection to it. The tzitzis expand beyond this world. It takes you outside of this world, past this world. That's what the tzitzis do. They, they bring you into a different realm. It's not that I'm wearing clothing in order to cover myself. I'm wearing clothing because the clothing itself helps me attain a higher spiritual level, as we'll see. Yefes, who represents beauty, Yefes, standard physical beauty, didn't like the fact that his father was lying naked because it's not proper to have someone lying unclothed. And therefore, I'm going to cover him up because it doesn't look nice. 
Well, in that case, we appreciate the fact that you don't want a naked body just to lie there uncovered. And so when you get killed, we will cover up that naked body. Because it's not nice to leave it lying in the field. Chav, who doesn't really care that much, so we just leave him there too. It's not really a problem. Yeah? And uh, the birds will come and eat him. That's all. The animals will come and eat him. You know? I guess you could transport him by plane, but you know, usually you can't because they have a rule you only allow one carrion. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> carrion. Anyway, I'll give her a minute for that one to move around the room. And my wife tells me I can't say it. I'll edit it out. That's the nice thing about these MP3 things. Anyway, <laughs> no one has to know everything. But, um, but that's the idea. You don't even care about the animalistic aspects of a human being. And this, of course, plays this relationship between shame and yefes. And that's why he says, yeah, right? Yefes. We'll expand yefes. That's down here. Down here, only in the physical terms. Right? Down here on this physical world, yefes will become bigger, and it'll expand, and he'll get more land, whatever the case may be. But HaKadosh Baruch who will dwell in Ohalei shame. When shame builds a mishkan, HaKadosh Baruch will come into it. He's making a connection between the physical world and the spiritual world. And this, of course, plays itself out in the Hanukkah story, as we all know. Yavan, who comes from Yefes, and we, who come from shame, and we play out this particular um, relationship once again, because we believe that the world can be taken and filled with spirituality. And Yefes believes that this world itself is the end all and be all that can be. I haven't checked recently. My information is at least seven years old. But as of seven years ago, no Israeli pilot ever got a hundred points on his uh, physical exam. Baruch Hashem. Because the physical exam for pilots, they took from the English. And in the English system, you lose one point if you have a bris milah. So uh, they consider that to be a disfiguration, as in fact did the Greeks. Because the human body is the greatest thing there can possibly be. Whereas we say the human body has an opportunity to be filled with kedusha. Interestingly enough, that's why when a Moloch attacks, it says they removed the Mokum Bris Mila and threw it back up to Shemayim and said to Kadosh Baruch Hu, keep that which you desire. Don't come down here. Stay up there. Don't fill this world with Kedusha. And that's what the Greeks had problem with us. We believe that everything, the human body can become Kadosh. Time can be Kadosh. Everything we do can become Kadosh. And they didn't like that. Because you can't measure or observe Kedusha through the scientific study and principle to which they developed. And they said, if we can't see it, smell it, taste it, it doesn't exist. And therefore, if you cover up a body, it's only because it's not proper manners, it's not pretty. Yeah? And shame sort from the spiritual point of view. And that's more or less, that up till there is how we usually go. But of course, I looked at this story and I was struck by an interesting context, and maybe I'll put that context into context. The Zohar Kodesh tells us that 
the world after the marble is considered a new world. You can't even count from that old world. I'll give you an example. This week's parasha. It says that Haran dies, the Lushan is, al Terach Aviv. And Rashi says he died in the life of Terach. And he was the first child to ever die in the life of a parent. To which the Villagain says, what about Hevel? He died in the life of his father. And the Gruk quotes the Zohar to say the, the Chazal mean in this world. That was a different world. This is a new world. In this world, nobody ever died. And even though you see the lifespans getting shorter, if you open up your official art scrolls and find a little timeline, you'll find that when Huron died, none of the children had yet died in their father's lifetimes, even though their lifespans were shorter and there were those who died in their father's lifetimes. But not before Huron. He was the first. So it's a new world. And it's interesting that the story that begins the new world is Noah being enclosed in his tent and the whole thing that plays out has to do with clothing. So they cover him and he gets a talus with tzitzis and he gets a uh, to be buried and there seems to be sort of a clothing theme here a little bit. And the reason I find this to be particularly fascinating is because if we go all the way back to the old world, when I say the old world, I mean the really old world. You know? We go back to Gan Eden. The end of Perak Bays, Pasuk Chafhei. Vayu shnehem arumim ha'odem ve'ishtay v'lo yizboshoshu. The two of them were unclothed and they were not embarrassed. And quite a number of the Mepharshim explained because there was nothing to be embarrassed about. There was no internal taiva and therefore the a desire for procreation was no different than the desire to eat. And most people are not embarrassed when their mouths are uncovered unfortunately. <laughs> there might be something to say about putting on a muzzle or a veil. You know, but uh, for the most part, a person's not embarrassed about it. Interestingly enough, the one exception to that is, of course, a Mitzayra, who has to wear a veil in front of his mouth, because he should be embarrassed what his mouth was doing. But as far as people who are eating, you know, for the most part, assuming that you eat in the proper way, there's no reason to be embarrassed about it, you know. No, you don't have to go to somebody and say, ooh, your mouth is showing, you know what I mean? But of course, a person who's unclothed today, we would say that for sure. I can't believe such a thing is taking place. How terrible. But back then, there was no internal type, and there was nothing to be embarrassed about. But this is what always bothered me. The Nachash was the most Orum of all the animals of the field. Now, we all know that Urim over here means sly. When it says by Yaakov that he came from Mirma, there it's translated, Rashi says, it's Chochmah. And I just thought it so strange, the juxtaposition of the Psukim. They were both Arumim, and the Nachash was the most Arum of all the animals. The Abed Ezra anticipated my question and said it has nothing to do with each other. Don't 
go there. He was not the only one to have told me this. I have received this advice from many people. Uh, not only this question, but many of my questions. <laughs> you know, some of them say it a little nicer, some of them say it less nice. But apparently, Rabbi Ezra is presenting it as merely a coincidence. Right? The fact that Arma means uh, sly, Arum means sly, and Arumim is naked, just a coincidence. Now, Rabbi Anderson Eibschitz says two completely different things. I'm going to tell you the easier one first. The easier thing he says is that it's Lushen Saginoy. Uh, it's a euphemism. That if you want to say um, about uh, somebody who's very, very tall, right? Sometimes they might call him shorty. You know? It's a Lushen Saginoy. We had a, when I went to sleepaway camp, I remember back in 19... There was a guy in camp, we used to call him Flash because he was so incredibly slow. You know, it's it's not uncommon, right? So he says, Arum, which is sly, which means that they're hiding everything they're doing, we call them unclothed because really he's completely hidden. It's a little play on the word. Now that's the the easier idea we're going to have to deal with here this evening. But uh, I just thought it strange. It starts with they're unclothed. And the Nahash is Arum. More naked than everybody, or smarter than everybody, however you want to look at it. And he talks to Chava and gets her to mess up. A slight problem here that has always troubled me. How did the Nahash speak? And a number of the Mepharshim are troubled by this as well, Baruch Hashem. Yeah? How did the Nahash speak? We know that Rashi says clearly. Yeah, that the thing that differentiated the human being from everybody else was Das Vedibur. As the Targum translates, Nevishchaya Ruach Mamarala. We speak and nobody else speaks. So a number of, them, of the Rishonim say the same thing. It was not the Nachash who was speaking, it was its Malach. Meaning, as the Chazal tell us, every blade of grass has a malach that stands over it with a stick to hit it and tell it to grow. There was a Rebbe who was very tough on one of his Talmidim. And he says, Rebbe, why are you always you know, picking on me? Why are you always giving me a hard time? And it says, it says there's a malach that stands over every blade of grass with a stick that hits it and says grow. You see from this, that's the way you grow. So, uh, interesting insight. But in any event, so... Um, so just like every blade of glass has a malach, every animal has a malach, everything has a malach, this was the mazel, if you will, of the nachash that was there. Not that the nachash itself was able to speak, it spoke on its behalf. It's a little bit of a problem, because then why is the nachash punished when the nachash didn't really do anything? You're telling me that its spiritual essence up in Shemayim was really doing it, and then we take it out of the malach. A little bit of a problematic. There are those of the Mavashim who are troubled by that, but I let's file that question away just for a moment. Because I want to go to another problem. Like I say, we're placing this in the context, or as we say in a Hebrew context, yeah. Soon I'll be able to speak Hebrew too. All you have to do is speak English with a bad accent. So uh, here's the story here. Alright? Adam Avino is sitting at home when suddenly Og comes running over. And jumps down and says, There's a terrible war. My people have gotten wiped out. You've got to do something about them. says, 
What happened? <laughs> I told you we'd get Ogan, you know. There's a big warrior. Okay. And so he says, come on, Eliezer, let's go. And after Og's people have been wiped out in this Mohammed, Abraham runs off with Eliezer to go and fight the four kings who have defeated everybody. He fights them and he defeats them. And after this is done, what happens? The Yeshiv is called Yehush. He brings back all of the captured and the and the spoils. Vigamas Lot Achiv. Rechusha Yeshiv. He brings back Lot and all this stuff. Vigamas Hanoshim Yesa'am. And he brings back all of the captives. The Yeshiv Melech Stam Lekrasai Achrei Shuvah Mehakos Es Kedola Emek. There's some Rochim Ashei Toi of Emek Shovei Hu Emek Amelech. And he comes out to greet him with nothing. Doesn't bring him anything. And Malchitzedek comes out and brings him bread and wine. Says Rashi, this is Shem ben Noach. The only one of the four protagonists in our story who get another mention uh, get to play another role in Tanakh that we see. Others are in the Medrash. But he actually comes out. Here is Shame. And here is Shame with his linear descendant, Abraham. And they meet at this moment. He gives him this tremendous bracha and he gives him miser and there's this interplay taking place between shame and Avram. And then, You just give me the people and you keep the, keep all the stuff. Yeah? After shame refers to Kone Shemayim Ba'aretz, Avram picks up the theme, I swear to Hashem, Kone Shemayim Ba'aretz, who connects Shemayim Ba'aretz. Remember, that's what shame did in the story. He didn't look at it as, I'm only covering up my father, I'm covering up the spiritual essence, and the bracha he gets is, Hashem, Yudke Vavke, will be Ba'orele Shem. And he calls him Kone Shemayim Ba'aretz, Avram picks up the theme and he says, I swear, I wouldn't take a string or a shoelace from you. Say the Chazal. He wouldn't take a string or a shoelace. In the schus of that statement, he gets the mitzvah of tzitzis and he gets the mitzvah of chalitza. According to others, whatever. There's a there's a, a, a reward for this. But shame already got the mitzvah of tzitzis. So how is Abraham getting it? So I can give a technical response, several technical responses. There's a fascinating riva that quotes Rabbeinu Tam that says that he never really promised him tzitzis. He promised him begodim na'im. 
Just like you covered up your father, so I'll give you fancy clothing to cover up yourself. But it wasn't really a talus with real tzitzis. It just meant they would be made with strings, fancy strings. And Abraham got the mitzvah of tzitzis. Okay. The Riva is not so happy with that shot because it says talus im tzitzis, as we pointed out. So he says, he gives another tzitzis. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said it's going to go to the descendants of shame, but he didn't say who. Now, shame is passing it on to Abraham. Interesting that he's doing it right now. Why now, as soon as they meet, is he passing on to him this talus? What's happening here? What's, what's this interplay between the two? There are others who say uh, he got a talus um, with tzitzis, but he didn't get tchelis. Right? The chut of tchelis is what Abraham got, and he added it on to that talus of tzitzis levanim that uh, that shame had received. These are more or less technical responses. So there's nobody who takes this whole package the way I've presented it to you and says, oh yeah, there's a relationship between the fact that other men have a weren't dressed, and then um, the the nachash is called the most arum of everybody. And then they have to get clothing. And then Noah, right after the Teva, is unclothed. And then they get clothed. And because of this, he gets a talus. And then uh, Avram stands up to Melch Stone, and then he gets the talus also. There's nobody who presents the whole thing in this linear fashion. No reason that should stop me. I want to venture into unusual territory. And... Uh, maybe try to look at this. And I have to tell you that I, um, I wasn't sure where to go with this. I went through a lot of my favorite svarim who usually ask my questions and they didn't ask it. One of them asked all of my questions the way I asked it and he gave you know, an interesting Musa idea but it didn't, it didn't answer the question on this level that I'm trying to answer it here this evening. And, uh, and then this morning in shul, um, I happened to be able to find a Pirish of Yonis and Eivshitz and I opened up and he says some of the most incredible ideas that I think if we put this into a context this will answer all of our questions and maybe put things into a slightly different understanding for us. He says the following. You know what? I'll take it from another point of view first. There's another Rashi that we all know. It's one of these Rashis that are a little difficult to deal with, especially when you understand it, Parshat Shat. Kodesh Baruch Hu brings Adam all of the animals to name. And he realizes that everyone has a mate. You know, a, a ram has a ewe, and a, um, and a bull has a cow, and every animal has a separate name for a male and a female. And he saw all these animals that he named, and he didn't, a goat and a she-goat. <laughs> One of my favorites. And, uh, and he had a goose and a gander. And, and he didn't have, you know, 
anybody. So Akash Baruch Hu, once he allowed him to realize he was missing something, puts him to sleep and makes him a woman to be his wife. And what does he say? Zosapam says Rashi. Malamed Shabo Odam Alkol Behema Vachaya. Pashtis. Odam had relations with every animal, Valonis Kara Daitai. And it didn't seem right to him. Ad Shabo Al Chava, so he had relations with his wife. I have to tell you, this Rashi has always bothered me. It's always bothered me. The obvious reason is clear. But there's another reason. And that's a Rambam. In Hilchus Balachim. Perek Tes. Halacha Aleph. Al Shisha Dvarim Nitztava Odama Rishon. Al Verizoya, the Albiyavas Hashem, the Al Shvichas Domim, the Al Gilia Rayas, the Al Gezavel Dinim. He was given basically the mitzvahs of B'nai Noach. You're not allowed to have relations with animals. That's usher, even for a guy. And so, how in the world could other Mauritians have possibly done this? Besides the obvious difficulties involved. But, but, but how could it possibly be? So, Yonison Ibshit says, an unbelievable idea. Let's understand what happened. Vayushnem arumim ha'odim ve'ish tevoyiz boshoshu. Hatam hu the kodim ha'chet. They wanted to be unclothed because you find that that brings you to a higher level of spiritual understanding. And he quotes. A story in Shmuel Aleph, which I must have learned, because I finished this book on more than one occasion. I don't know how this particular story slipped by me. David Melech runs away, and he goes to Shmuel. But you go to Shmuel Lamar, he named David the Noyais David, and he sends messengers to bring David. They get the spirit of God and they begin to prophesy. He sends more messengers. And they also start prophesizing. And they also start prophesizing. So he goes himself. Where are they? And he starts prophesizing. This is Shmuel Aleph Paragud Test Pasikhab Dalid, in case you think I'm making this up. And 
and he also took off his clothes. And he was unclothed the whole day, prophesizing before Shmuel. Now, you could say simply, it means he took off his big day malchus. Says Rabbi no, he took off his clothes. Because that's a better way to prophesize. As Mr. Wizard used to say, kids, don't try this at home. I'll never forget one year on Hashanah Rabbah, I was speaking, and I spoke about the tour, which says that if you go out on Hoshana Rabbah night, people would go to the mikveh, and then they would wrap themselves in a sheet, and then they would stand there unclothed in the moonlight to see if they had a shadow of a shadow, because if not, then they knew that they weren't going to make it to the next year. And I stressed very strongly that they shouldn't do this. By the way, the Ramah also says that. But we're, we're saying it for two completely different reasons. I'm thinking mostly because of the legal aspects involved. But, uh, you know, dancing in the moonlight. Anyway, but uh, it seems like such a strange thing. So here's show unclothed in order to prophesize. I can't help but wonder if that's the idea of the story of the little boy who saw the king. New clothing came from the king, you see, was all together, was all together, was all together as naked as the day that he was born. That's Danny Kay. Is anyone was wondering? <laughs> That's another little piece of worthless information I wanted to share with you this evening. In case you were wondering why. But, uh, but it's unbelievable. What an amazing story. So you guys, don't you understand? Physicality separates you from a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Therefore, if you have begotten, 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 separate you. Other than Chava, we're not embarrassed because they were reaching this constant level of Nevoah by being unclothed. Out came pushed to begay him. This was of course before the hate. Yeah? And they were on this level of Nevoah. So therefore, they were able to do this on this level. It was an absolutely amazing concept. Right? We're not Adam Kodam We cannot do this. But the idea is... What is the idea? The idea is the following. Let's say you are a Kohen. I am. I am a Kohen. Let's say I'm a, I am a Kohen. I am a Kohen. Well, I carry this. <laughs> the Kohen identification card. And, um, and uh, when I go into the base of Mikdash, I will uh, go into the dressing room and put on my Big Day Kahuna, the appropriate, you know, uh, little trousers that they have there, the long shirt, the 32 Amos belt. Takes a short while to put on, put on my little hat, and I'm ready for action. Now, let's say I find them itchy. I'm allergic to linen or something. And I want to wear my own personal clothing underneath. Yeah? That is illegal. You cannot do the avoda. Let's say I want to put on, you know, uh, you know uh, we'll put on a pair of socks and shoes because, the, you know, it's stone floor. It gets cold and stuff, especially in the winter. No way. You are not allowed to have anything chotzates between you. To the point that the Rambam says, that it says that on Yom Kippur, when the Mishnah says that the 
Kohen Gadol goes into the mikveh and then he dries himself, the Rambam says that's not good advice, that's a requirement because even the water would be considered a chatzitza between him and the begadim. The, you're not allowed to have any of your own street clothes, you have to only wear your own, the, the Kohen Gadol begadim. I know everyone's thinking of the news story that took place about five years ago, uh, five or six years ago, where the characters in Disneyland who dress up uh, finally in a court battle won the right to wear their own um, undergarments underneath the costumes because uh, they weren't too sure as to the status of everybody else who was dressing up like Mickey Mouse or Baloo. Just in case you're wondering, somebody thought that, you know, the bare reality I was... Someone said to me, you know, just like you're going through all the letters of the Al-Khayd, I thought you're going to start going through all the animals on the Teva. You know what I mean? The bare realities. No, it's spelled differently. But, um, you know, but you're allowed to wear your street clothes. Not here by the Bidik Kahuna. And of course, as the Malbum and others point out, the Bidik Kahuna was what was necessary to allow you to recover the levels of Adam Kodam Achet. Otherwise, you'd be wearing nothing. But these Begodim allow you to get back to where Adam was without clothing. So, this is what he says. And then he says, an absolutely fascinating idea. There's two different points here. He says, what does it mean that he was with all of the animals? I'll read the second one first. And he says, how could it be? We know that the Ram says it's also. Yeah? So he says, and he asked the question that we asked earlier. How did the Nachash speak? Has Nashavani does. We know the only things that could speak or have understanding were human beings, not animals. So he says, when he was Ba'alehem, it doesn't mean that he had relations. It means that he brought them into his level. He allowed himself to be Mashpia on the animals, that they were able to relate to him on this intellectual level. And this is what he says. He quotes a Gemara in Kedushin. Daf Yuches. Amr Beis. Talking about an Amr of Ria. The big Gemara. Kevin Shapirish Taliso Aleha Shuv En Roi Lamaychwa. Divrei Rabbi Akiva. When he puts his talis over her, that's considered marriage. And he says, what Adam Arishon did was to spread his talus over these animals and that gave them Deya the Dibur. And when he lost the levels that he had, so then he had to, the animals lost it along with him. But he says, His begotten and his light. Interesting, there's a Chazal that say that when it says they made them big day or, it's or with an aleph. But he put his light and his begot on them. Um, as we mentioned. So Paras Adam Ora Al and they were in his sail. But he did not put it on the Nachash, he says. 
Lo paris bigdo v'aro. Therefore, the nachash was arum mikorachayos. He was the most naked of all the animals because he didn't get this extra gift from Adam. Now, where he got it from is not clear. That's why he was jealous of him. But evidently, since he had the greatest potential for this, that's the reason that he was able to reach this highest level of understanding. That's the reason he wanted to be in his, he wanted to, he wanted to marry Chava. Because he felt this highest level of this connection of what an Adam was. And so therefore, and he mentions the Gemara we just mentioned, it's like Kedushin. And therefore, he brought these animals into this level of understanding. Let's, let's take this idea that Rabbi Yonis and Eibschitz is saying, which is an astounding idea, and try to put it together. Adam Arishan didn't have any physical clothing, but he had something that is described as his talus. What is a talus? A talus is it's not a beged in the traditional sense. It's something that you wear over your begadim. It's something that you wear and extends beyond you and allows you to, you can wrap yourself in your talus, you can extend yourself over the talus, I spoke about this this past Toshana Rabba. Uh, I don't know if anybody was there, but but uh, I don't want to get into it now. But there's a relationship between the talus and the sukkah. You know this this sense of protection. When we go into a chuppah, there are those people who have the minag that they go under a talus. You know the talus is is spread over them, and the two of them come together in this. This talus is this idea of being able. In Talisa, for those of you who understand the reference, right? This idea of being able to extend your 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 sphere of influence beyond you is with your talus. When Noah comes off the Teva, he wants to go and build something, and he's unprepared. He doesn't understand that he's not who he was. He he he's left unclothed. And one of his sons has no respect for who he is. There's a relationship between Ham and the Nachash in the sense that they look at the situation and they take advantage of it for negative uh, manifestation. And the Shem and Yefes look at the situation from two complete different perspectives. Shame looks at it from the sense of here's my father and he's uncovered and the embarrassment that he's going to suffer is going to lower him in people's eyes. He's going to become chulin instead of kadosh. He's not going to be able to impact. He's not going to be the Noah that the, that the world needs. And he wants to cover him up and he really wants to do it himself but there's no way he can figure out how to cover him without being able to look at him. So he says to Yefes, come along with me. And Yefes is only joining in to be an assistant because Shane would rather do it himself. Yefes doesn't feel a need to do it himself. Yefes just says, yeah, yeah, somebody cover him, but I don't have to cover him. Okay, you need me, so I'll come along. I cover up his father and he says, you, Shane, understand that you can bring the Shekhinah into the world. You understand, but oh, shame, there's going to be a place where we're going to be able to influence. 
where we're going to be able to affect the world, where the tzitzis are going to extend beyond that beged. And that was Shem's mission in the world. He didn't have the ability to finish the job. He couldn't complete the task, but he understood it. Because that's what the tzitzis are. They extend beyond the beggar. That's what it is to a person. It's your ability to be able to impact, to be able to allow your presence to rest. To be able to bring it over you, to allow it to cover. That's what a talis can do. And Adam Arishon, when he loses this ability, realizes he needs begadim, and shame covers up his father, and he gets begadim that are on a higher level, that they're going to extend beyond. And that goes down through the generations till we come to Avram Avinu. And when Avram Avinu meets shame, shame says to Avraham, you went to fight the four kings because you wanted Mekadeh Shem Hashem. You weren't worried for yourself. You understood that your role in this world is to impact and affect the world and not to sit back. Here you see Og running away from the battle. I would imagine most people would feel a little intimidated by that, but not Avraham. Let's go. It's clobbering time. You know? What are we going to do? Don't worry. I brought along sand. Okay, they don't know what they're in for. You know what I mean? And uh, and boom, the unbelievable impact that takes place. And after this Muhammad, which the whole world saw, he says to Melech Stone, "I wouldn't take a string from you. I don't want anything from you. Because then you'll say I influenced Abraham. I brought him under my talis." What did the Tchelis do? We all know the Rashi. You'll see the string as blue. And it'll remind you of the sea. And the sea reminds you of the sky. And the sky reminds you of the Kisei HaKavod. Going up, 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 up. When we put on a talus, we understand it's a process of taking us from this world up to the next world. To the Kisei HaKavod. To the place where we can go that nobody else can go. You know, it didn't rain, Rashi tells us in Boratius, until people asked for it. But it's, 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 it's such a strange image. I always have trouble picturing it. It says, Adam was born and there was no trees, no grass, no flowers. Everything was just under the surface, waiting for Adam to ask for rain, and the rain came and it came up. Why can Adam be the only one who asked for rain? Because the way HaKadosh Baruch who created Adam was he took water, from below and water from above and mixed it together to make him. He joined together the upper waters and the lower waters that are separated by the rakia. This Tuesday night, we in Israel will start davening for rain because we know that we can go up to Shemayim and bring down that rain. We're the only ones who can. Only an Adam can daven for rain because we have this special ability to transcend the rakia. We can go from down all the way up and we can extend our influence across the four corners of the earth. We can inspire. We can change. We can bring everything to a state of holiness. And that's what shame saw. I'm not covering up a naked man. 
For that you get a burial. I'm doing something much deeper. I'm bringing into this world the Kedusha. I see the Tzelem Elohim. I can extend it. Maybe we can't extend it like other Marishon did to the animals, but we can extend it beyond our own sphere of influence. Our Tfilas can reach up and bring down that rain that we so desperately need. We can reach out to other people and fill them with Kedusha. We can inspire, we can lead, we can make the world into the way it's supposed to be. Or we could not. There's a reality, there's a bare reality. The reality is that we have the ability to be able to move beyond the limitations of this world. To be able to make this world kone shamayim ba'aretz, a connection between heaven and earth. It's a pity. It's a pity that most people don't understand the power that we have. And this is the introduction. Shame starts a process that Abraham picks up and passes on. And that becomes who we are. It fills us. It protects us. We wear our talis, and our talis is something that can extend over and be able to reach out the strings that will bring us beyond the four corners of this world. To be able to make the world where you're able to connect Shamayim Va'aretz and bring it all the way up to the way it's supposed to be. Minat Hashem, we start off a year. And, you know, we, we said it in the past, you know, there's a minute among the Hasidim, they don't say it's Parshas Voracious, it's Shabbos Voracious. It's the Shabbos that starts the whole year. Somebody asked me just recently, why don't we have Simchas Torah on Shuas? Why do we have it on Shuas? The answer is very simple, because we didn't get the Torah on Shuas. The Torah was supposed to get on Shuas, we were supposed to get on Shuas Batamas, and instead we broke it and built an ego. Bad idea all around. The Torah that we have, we got on Yom Kippur. And we go right from Yom Kippur into Sukkot, and we come out of that, and then we start the Torah. Now we start the Torah the way it's supposed to be. And this starts us off. As, uh, Svasemis brings down a lot of places. Teva is a word. The Maharam Mipano points out it was three Amos, 100 Amos, that's in Gematria Shin. 30 Amos, that's Lamed. 50 Amos, that's Nun. It spells out Lashon. It's the ability to be able to speak the Teva of the Torah. And that's the power that is going to keep us going. And Amir Hashem, we will take this power to be able to extend it and make the world, Amir Hashem, the place it's supposed to be so that we can see the world B'Shlai Musay. Amir Hashem. Amir Hashem, next year will be in two weeks and it will continue at 7.30, Amir Hashem, for the time being. A good to